Welcome to Restoration Road Online. We hope you enjoy this week's message. Well, good morning. Bear with me here. Didn't have access to a printer or a tablet, so I am preaching from my laptop this morning. Well, good morning, Restoration Road. Uh, first, I want to thank Pastor Joey uh, for this opportunity. It is very humble and exciting for myself, and it's just a very scary blessing. That makes sense. If we haven't met already, like you said, my name is Josh. Uh, you've seen, like you said, you've seen me hiding in the back uh, by the computer and the soundboard almost every Sunday for the past few months. And to answer your question, yes, I'm six foot six, and no, I do not play basketball. A little about myself, uh, I'm 22, I'm a native of New Jersey. I was born and raised in a first-generation Christian home. I am one of nine kids, I'm the fourth. And as you can tell by my very well-themed Star Wars laptop case that I'm a nerd in every sense. Uh, I'm a, uh, currently a senior at North Point Bible College up in Haverhill, where I'm majoring in biblical studies and ministerial leadership, uh, with hopes of eventually moving forward to a master's degree. In my time here over the past few months, I've fallen absolutely in love with this church and its mission. I love this church and its desire to bring the gospel of grace to broken people so that they can find restoration in Jesus. I love our reference and focus on the gospel of grace. And like we talk about at the end of every service, we want to love, live, and pray the gospel. But what is this gospel? And most of us probably already know that the word gospel simply means good news. But what exactly is the good news that we speak of? This morning, I quickly want to take us through a journey through Jesus' words and discover what he's saying to the church in this passage and how we are to live out this beautiful gospel of grace we speak of. I'm going to quickly reread the passage. And as Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. He said to him, follow me, and he rose and followed him. Jesus reclined at the table in the house, and behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to the disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard this, he said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came to call the right, not the righteous, but sinners. So what is happening here in this verse? First, we see Jesus call to a man named Matthew. This is the same Matthew who wrote this account. Now, while we don't know everything about Matthew, one thing that's important that we do know is that he was a tax collector. This isn't the IRS or the government, but rather he was a Jewish man hired by the Roman government to help collect taxes from the Jews and what they owed to Caesar. Oftentimes it was known that tax collectors would charge more than what was necessary and pocket the profit off of their fellow Jews. These people were seen as betrayers to their own people and were greatly despised for their greed. They were viewed as corrupt and sinful. But it also says after Jesus calls out to Matthew to follow him that they sit down together and eat. And it's also noted that other tax collectors and sinners are there with him. I find it interesting that it says that the Pharisees went to the disciples, not to Jesus. They went to the disciples to comment on what Jesus was doing. 
they question them about Jesus and what he was doing. And what's even better is that Jesus hears the mocking off to the side and responds, those who are well who have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. He then says, go learn what this means, which I take as his sassy version of, go look this up and get back to me. Then he quotes directly from Hosea 6.6, which says, I require steadfast love and not sacrifice. What does all this mean? What does it mean when Jesus says that he came for the sick? If we take a quick glance at Matthew chapter 8, in the first eight verses of chapter 9, Jesus performed many healing miracles. There are six noted within that section, but in uh, Matthew 8.16, it says that they brought many who were sick and oppressed, and he healed them. Obviously, healing can refer to the physical aspect of the word, being relieved physically of an illness or a deformity. But Matthew also uses the word healed to mean cleansed. And the first usage of this is in Matthew 8, 1 through 4, where Matthew's first recorded miracle of Jesus is that of Jesus healing a leper. Now, a whole sermon or series can be preached on this miracle alone because of its complexity. But to quickly spark note it is essentially this is the first time where Matthew uses the word healing and cleansed interchangeably. And while healing is referring to physical needs of the man being met, the cleansing is referring to the removal of what was standing in the way of the man's spiritual restoration. So now we have established that Jesus has performed these miracles not only to meet the physical needs of the people he came into contact with, but he is also performing them so that they are spiritually cleansed and restored. What does it mean to be sick? Obviously, this can be physical illness, physical wear and tear, physical deformity, but rather it is speaking of what it means in a spiritual sense. Apostle Paul talks about this over and over again throughout his letters to the churches. To be spiritually sick means to be separated from God and the work of Jesus on the cross by our sin. Scripture tells us in Paul's letter to the Ephesians that we are dead in our trespasses, that we have nothing to offer God, but rather he was rich in mercy, but he lavished his grace upon us at the cross so that we could be called sons and daughters of God. Our sin is the sickness that Jesus came to heal. Next, Jesus makes his correctional remark to the Pharisees. They were mocking him for eating with said sinners. And like I noted previously, Jesus directly quotes Hosea 6 by saying, I require steadfast love and not sacrifice. And to give a little bit of context to the book of Hosea, Hosea is writing this chapter specifically about the unfaithfulness and unrepentant hearts of the people and nation of Israel. And God speaks through Hosea saying, I require steadfast love and not sacrifice. He's speaking to the posture of the hearts of the people. He is calling out their pride and arrogance and calling them to humility and repentance. Jesus is doing this exact same thing here to the Pharisees. They were so hung up on the law of the Old Testament and holding to it to a T that their pride stood in the way of being able to sit humbly before Jesus because they thought they knew it all. Where the Pharisees saw transgressions, Jesus saw an opportunity to reach the lost. Jesus was making it clear that he came to heal those who were humble enough to reach out to him in their sickness so that way he could redeem them to himself. Now, how does this apply to us? Jesus came for the sick. He came, he lived, he died, he rose again to heal us of our spiritual brokenness. We all have our struggles, we're all human, and we all daily fight against temptation, and that's okay. 
two years ago was probably the darkest point in my life. I was in a deep black pit, only way to describe it. I was depressed, and that depression led to anxiety, and that anxiety led to conflict, and that conflict led me to sin, that sin led me to shame, and that shame led to deeper depression. And that led me to complete and utter hopelessness. I was lost, alone, and completely broken down. Broken down to the point where I thought I was beyond repair. It was then that God spoke to me strategically through people that were in my life to remind me that I could only be, me, be made whole through the grace of God. It was then after hours of tears and sorrow that God reminded me who I was, who he was, reassured me, reassured me of his peace, and made me whole again. Do I still struggle? Absolutely. Life is hard, but Jesus was and is restoring my life. Another one of the reasons I love this church is the name, Restoration Road. Now, I have no idea whether this was intentional or not when the church was founded, but I find the name to be such a beautiful depiction of how the restoration is a process. It is a road we must walk, but we can only begin the journey when we are submitted to the work of Jesus and allow ourselves to sit in communion with him and not become full of pride and arrogance like the Pharisees or the people of Israel who didn't see their own unfaithfulness and unrepentant hearts. Rather, I pray that we would be a people to humbly sit at the feet of Jesus, willing to be corrected, healed, and restored. We've established that Jesus came for the sick. He came for us so that his grace can overflow in our lives and mend our broken hearts. And today I want to encourage you, if you are struggling with anything, anything at all, give it to Jesus. He wants to heal you and restore you. Whether you deal with thoughts of doubt or anger or lust or greed, if you struggle with who you are and your identity, whatever it is, bring it to the cross. Bring it to the feet of Jesus because he wants to restore you through his grace. This is the heart and the center of the gospel. Grace. Jesus came to proclaim the gospel of grace to all who would be willing to sit down their pride and take on the journey of grace and restoration. But while, yes, this is the gospel that we are meant to accept and embrace ourselves as a church, who are we as sons and daughters of God if we do not go out and share this gospel of grace with others? After Jesus' remark to the Pharisees, for I require steadfast love and not sacrifice, he then goes on to say, for I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners. We as the church and as the body of Christ, who show up to church every Sunday, whether that is in person or online, are constantly devoting ourselves to God as his people while we worship corporately. But like how Jesus sat down to dine with sinners that nobody would else dare associate with, we are to go and share this wonderful gospel of grace with the world around us. How do we accomplish this? We invest in people's lives. We love to talk about praying for that one, that one person in our life that we would love to see come to Jesus. 
while praying is a wonderful thing, I urge you to continue to pray always. I would never discourage you from praying. But I encourage you to invest time into an intentional relationship with that person. If you already have one, great. Build it up more. But if you don't, I urge you to start. To give you a personal example, like I said before, I'm one of nine kids, and I'm the fourth. Um, but my oldest is my only older brother. And because this is being streamed, um, I'm going to leave out his name. But there was a time from when I was five until I was 20, a 15-year gap, where we had no relationship. And for reasons that are private to my family, he went off into the world and we were no longer a part of his life. No contact at all. I didn't see him on birthdays or holidays for any point in time for 15 years. It'll be two years ago in September that while God was working on me and restoring my life from the pit that he brought me out of, that out of nowhere, my brother's name came to my heart. I could not escape his name and face. I just continued to pray that God would open a door for me to reach out to him again, to get in touch with him, to tell him that I loved him. After two weeks of praying for that door to be opened, he popped up on my Facebook feed as a suggested friend. So I messaged him on Facebook Messenger, and I just simply said, hey man, it's been a while. I'd like to catch up, and I hope you're doing well. I love you. And I was surprised that he even responded. Which, to be honest, blew my mind, but it was even funnier because I wasn't 100% sure if I've even messaged the right person. But he responded, and now we are reconnecting and getting to know each other again, working through the things that went on in the past together as brothers, and getting to know each other again. And just, it's been amazing. He's not a Christian. He's not exactly living what we would call a healthier, pure lifestyle. But I pray every day that God would open up an opportunity for me to share the gospel. This way that he too can be made whole and redeemed. Just as Jesus sat down with the tax collectors and sinners and ate meals with them, we too must sit down, our pride, and eat meals with those who are sinners, just like us. We must remember that once we too were lost and with no direction or hope, but we found the good news. We received the grace of God. What a wonderful thing it would be if we all invested our time into people's lives so that they could be called sons and daughters of God. Investing in someone isn't a one and done deal either. It's a continual process, just like restoration. It's a journey. Uh, people who know me well, especially at school, know that I love Charles Spurgeon. Uh, and these are two quick quotes from him that I think apply perfectly to this message. The heart of the gospel is redemption, and the essence of redemption is the substitutionary sacrifice of Christ. There may be some sins of which man cannot speak, but there is no sin which the blood of Christ cannot wash away. Jesus came for the sick. He came so that way you and I could find restoration in his work of salvation on the cross. Jesus came so that we no longer have to struggle in our sin, hopeless, lost, and broken, but rather that we may become his sons and daughters. And as his sons and daughters, we ought to go and share this good news with all who may come into contact 
or relation with. May we all remember that without him, we are nothing, but with him, we have everything. May we stay humble as we sit at the feet of Jesus, not allowing ourselves to become self-righteous, but allowing him to work in our lives. May May we remember that it's not the work of the law that saves us, but rather it is the free grace of God. This is the gospel of grace. Let me pray with you. Heavenly Father, I praise and thank you for this opportunity to come here and speak. I thank you that these are your words, not mine. And I pray that your word would just sit on our hearts today. That as we go out and we celebrate with family and friends, that you would just begin to marinate in our hearts how we are to live out this gospel of grace. How we are to recognize that every day that it is by your grace alone that we are saved. Lord God, may we continue to pray and just be intentional with our relationships, with our coworkers, with our families, with our friends. Lord God, may we just reach out and be the gospel. Lord God, may your power just flow through this church. May you bless us all as we go. Thank you for listening to this Sunday's sermon at Restoration Road. We hope it blessed you and invite you to join us for next service at 10 a.m. on Sunday. God bless.